Hey, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio. Uh, I'm here with John Scott Tynes, uh, one of the creators of Delta Green, who is now uh, back creating a new supplement for Delta Green, uh, the Labyrinth, uh, which is your first Delta Green project in quite some time, and uh, but not your first RPG project, uh, as you re- also recently uh, released uh, Puppetland, uh, which was, uh, I believe, any nominated last year. Or is it this year? Uh, I forgot. Um, yeah, I think it was last year. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the innies sort of blur, to, uh, blur together to me at a certain <laughs> point. Um, so anyways, um, John, uh, what led you to getting back into RPG design? Because you'd, been, you'd, been, you'd left tabletop game design for a while, uh, but you know, a few years ago you decided to jump back in with re- a reimagining, I guess, or a redesign of Puppetland, um, and then obviously this uh, has then led to a new Delta Green book. Yeah, you know, uh, I, um, I I worked in tabletop RPGs for I guess about twelve years, um, starting when I was nineteen, <laughs> and uh, I had just gotten burned out. Um, I was running pagan publishing and doing Delta green stuff, the unspeakable oath magazine and so forth. But I was also, um, running the product line for Atlas games for my game, uh, unknown armies that Greg Stoltz and I did. Um, and, and then also doing random freelance projects on the side. And it just, it just got to be too much. Um, and I began working full time at a video game company. And so I just had to kind of make a choice about what I was going to focus on. So around 2002, I think was pretty much when I worked on the RPG stuff for the last time. Um, and, uh, in the years since then, the only thing that I've done, uh, for a while was I, I wrote a Delta green short story a few years ago for, uh, our book, uh, extraordinary renditions. That was mm-hmm. a Kickstarter stretch goal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I kind of meant that to be like my sort of farewell, the Delta green. It was a story I used to kind of lay to rest, uh, one of the characters I'd created way back when, uh, Reginald Fairfield was one of the leaders of Delta Green for a while. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of wanted to like wrap up his story arc and kind of put him to bed, so to speak, and, and sort of say goodbye. Um, but you know, never say never. Uh, I <laughs> last few years, um, have seen this, this kind of weird confluence where, um, we, uh, started doing a new edition of unknown armies with Atlas games. And, um, I stayed out of the, the bulk of the creative work for that project, but I was involved early on with Greg on the conceptual stuff and kind of laying out the plan for it. Um, and then I always wanted to bring puppet land back. Um, and I was going to do my own Kickstarter for it at some point just to kind of get it like cleaned up and back in print and as an ebook and so forth, just kind of one more time for posterity's sake. Um, and Shane Ivy at Arc dream, uh, you know, said he would love to do that with me. And so we did a Kickstarter and did a whole new edition and I ended up writing a ton of new material. And we got a whole bunch of other writers involved to create adventures for the game. Um, and then Shane produced this gorgeous, gorgeous rule book for puppet land, uh, with beautiful art by Samuel Araya and several other artists. And it was a real dream come true to see puppet land, uh, finally released in that format. Um, so with the new one, and then of course, at the same time, uh, with Dennis and Scott and Shane and Greg and other folks, um, we were working on the Delta green role playing game. And once again, as of the armies, I really was staying out of it creatively. I was, you know, on the conversations early on about planning and kind of general direction and how we're going to update the timeline, that kind of thing. Um, but I stayed out of the writing. I was really 
both Unknown Armies and Delta Green, I was happy to kind of be a godfather to it, but um, it was really just Puppet Land that I wanted to put like real work into because I, mm-hmm. I just had to kind of manage my time that way. Um, but with all that stuff out the door, with uh, Unknown Armies, Puppet Land, and Delta Green all kind of back in print and shiny new editions and so forth, um, you know, it felt like, wow, okay, this is like, you know, all my favorite stuff is kind of coming back into the gaming market um, in a new way. And uh, I guess I should pay attention to that <laughs> and not just be like, hey, guys, that's great. <laughs> um, so when the uh, Delta Green Hammers Guide, uh, which just, you know, just shipped or is shipping now, basically, <clears throat> uh, when it finally, you know, we got it done and out and I was kind of, you know, going through the finished book and looking through it, um, you know, what I thought going through it was like, well, hey, this is amazing. And they, they've done a, a great job of you know, bringing all the history and timeline stuff forward. Um, and, but also like we took that opportunity and, and this is really led by Dennis and Scott and Shane and Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, they took the opportunity to kind of clear the decks of all the old Delta green villains. Um, so like the Karatekia and the fate and, um, uh, and majestic 12 and sort of all these different, you know, kind of cults and evil groups that we had come up with way back when, um, they kind of just resolved them all. Like they, you know, just like, killed them, retired them, shuffled them off stage, merged them with Delta Green in some cases, um, and just, just sort of like wrapped it all up. Uh, and and they, there were definitely new threats in the book, kind of in the history section, about what's going on today and what kind of nefarious, you know, culty, Cthulhu-y things are happening. Um, but I saw an opportunity to lay out a whole new set of, um, of villains for Delta Green um, but also allies as well. Um, allies have been an interesting aspect of Delta Green from the start with uh, Phenomenax and, and DG friendlies along the way. Um, and it's like a great time to kind of like populate this now bare stage uh, with new players um, that could then be the uh, inspiration and resource for handlers in their campaigns going forward for the next, you know, 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. And that was an exciting, that was a really exciting opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you use the word allies because, you know, when I think of, uh, friendlies and, uh, Phenomax and Delta Green, the, the word pawn comes up a little uh, quicker than I, <laughs> um, but I'm definitely, uh, uh, obviously it's, uh, interesting to see, uh, you know, the old Delta Green villains were always based, you know, on parts of the American, uh, zeitgeist and conspiracy theories, uh, you know, that sort of folklore, of um and urban legends of you know majestic 12 and ufos and um you know things of that nature um so i guess obviously uh judging from your your pitch on the on the labyrinth kickstarter page you're sort of taking more inspiration of uh more modern um contemporary themes and fears and boogeymen i guess um for uh the labyrinth um, what kind of things, I mean, obviously, you know, you can only look at the headlines today to kind of say, oh, well, that could obviously be mythosified, but have you, uh, found any more, uh, less obvious sources for, uh, the labyrinth? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, to some degree, uh, <clears throat> it, it's, it's a great point you made about the first round of DG villains kind of coming out of like UFO conspiracy folklore. That, that's definitely true. I mean, when I was growing up i was kind of steeped in that stuff um my uh my parents for several years were members of a ufo study group uh in my hometown of memphis tennessee kind of like saucer watch and they Mm. were sort of 
really curious. They were sci-fi fans, and they were kind of curious about UFOs. It was like Close Encounters days and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I went to UFO club meetings with my parents when I was a kid. And they, you know, people would tell stories about UFOs and bring in guest speakers and all this kind of stuff. And I was completely fascinated. And I read all sorts of, you know, really cheesy paperback books about <laughs> UFOs and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all this sort of stuff. Um, so that's really where a lot of Delta Green came from was kind of that that mythology like mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Um, and that's definitely not the case this time. Uh, you know, I think we've, we've done that and that's, that stuff's all, you know, was a, a little, a little moldy when we got a hold of it in the first place and had fun with it. Uh, but definitely like, wow, is that stuff really old now? Um, so what I'm looking at is when I look around for inspiration for the project, um, it's not so much looking at, you know, uh, um, this weird thing is going on in the real world and I bet there's a mythos thing behind it. It's, mm-hmm. it's more like, um, if you look at Lovecraft's story, uh, the Dumwich horror, mm-hmm. um, we have the Watley family and, you know, there's the, there's the sort of the elders of the family and, uh, Lavinia Watley, um, you know, has some kind of magical intercourse with an outer God and gives birth to Wilbur, who's sort of half human and half like goat tentacle weird thing. <laughs> um, and, and that's all crazy, but like Wilbur does just fine in human society. Like you can go check out library books and stuff. Right. So it's not like, you know, the fact that he's half tentacle man, you know, prevents him from sort of a, a pursuing his goals, which are like power and, you know, magic and all this kind of stuff. So when I look at the world, what I'm looking at really more is like, what do people want? Like, what are they after and what would they be willing to do to get it? And if there are people who are willing to, you know, to oppress others or to cheat others or to lie or to spread disinformation or to throw elections or whatever, like if they have enough of an agenda and enough resources and power to pursue it, then what they really want is more power. I mean, mm-hmm. they want they want their candidates elected. They want their cases decided. They want the city council to give them the freaking permit already, like whatever it is. Um, and if they're that driven and that motivated, like some of them are not going to stop at just regular political power. Like some of them, if given the opportunity, are going to pursue even greater forms of power. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I've been asking is the, the classical question from uh, – uh, ancient Rome of uh, uh, who benefits mm-hmm. like when when you see something going on in the world today that is really messed up and really sad and you know really hurtful to people in various ways then then what I try to do is kind of walk up the chain um, who benefits from that and it could be financially but it also could be from a position of, of cultural strength of like you know reinforcing their worldview or enforcing it on others and making them feel more powerful. Um, it could be religious based. It could be culture based. It could be political based. There's a lot of forms of power and influence. And so when you ask who benefits and kind of walk up the chain, not just like the angry person at the rally, but like who organized the rally, who's behind that, who's behind that, who's behind that. Um, that's where I think it gets pretty interesting. And that's where you can start to see um, in the bigger picture opportunities to work kind of cthulhu stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, be- because the, the quest for power and, and, and what happens to you when you quest after power in the Lovecraftian world are, are kind of the part and parcel of that. Um, and I think are just really ripe for exploitation and for, and for, you know, fun creator projects like this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are these all going to be entirely new sort of organizations, or are you going to be like I know uh, you mentioned the handler guide earlier, and uh, I know Dennis sort of created uh, was intending to create two new sort of opposition groups, which would be um, well, I mean, not new in the sense that they're they've never been seen before, Delta Green, but uh, sort of emphasizing the uh, the motion, the Yithian cult, and um, the uh, oh, well, the 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 Kenyans, or the, not the the uh, the hollow earth people, the, the giants that are, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, are you going to be referencing them or any of the other handlers, handler group, uh, handler guide, uh, groups? Are you going to be entirely new organizations? Um, I think the organizations will be new, but they will likely have connections to elements in the handler's guide at times. Um, Dennis is working on some of that material and to some degree, I'm kind of like staying, staying out of those swim lanes so he can Mm -hmm. do his thing over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're all drawing on sort of common sources for this stuff. Uh, and actually one of the chapters in the book that I'm planning, uh, is tied into, um, one of Dennis's, uh, campaigns, um, uh, that he wrote. And so I'm going to take something in that campaign and kind of go, well, that happened in 2005. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, roll forward, you know, 14 years here and see, uh, what's going on today. And so okay. like, you're going to find connections like that in the book. Um, but the organizations per se are all going to be new. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, so, uh, in your Kickstarter pitch, you, you sort of describe, um, a, a different approach to dealing these than how they've been written in Delta green, uh, before, which is, uh, not just providing here's the organization here, it's assets and personnel and, uh, agenda. Uh, but you're sort of providing, I guess, could be sort of a story arc for them. Um, or, uh, sort of a big a, a chronology of how they they begin and also how they interact with delta green and what happens after delta green interacts with them um can you tell us more about that yeah you bet um you know when we did the the original round of villains and delta green and and certainly this is true going back to like the monster manual for example um you know they're often kind of presented as uh targets in a shooting gallery and, you know, like, here's their thing. Here's what they're doing. They're just going to do the same thing, like looping in a cycle until you disrupt it and, and blow them up or whatever. Um, and uh, when I think about how I want these organizations to be used in a handler's campaign, um, I want a level of, uh, of uh, dynamism in there where the groups change over time. And that's inspired in part by what uh, what the the team has done with the Delta Green RPG with uh, with bonds for the agents, where they have these connections to family and home and friends and work and life and so forth that uh, they get tested and even sacrificed as they get deeper and deeper in their pursuit of the mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that fundamental notion, which you know, I think ultimately comes out of Call of Cthulhu's uh, formative idea of sanity and kind of you know, going mad and you know, losing your, your madness and so you're using your losing your sanity rather. Mm-hmm. So it's it's another way to express that kind of corrosive equality <clears throat> that uh, um, the mythos has in a Lovecraftian universe. Um, I think we've discussed it before as uh, like mental plutonium. That mm-hmm. this is this, this this these concepts, these creatures, these energies, these rituals. Um, have this corrosive effect on, on human sanity uh, and, and kind of wear you down. And over time, you know, you manifest more and more symptoms of exposure to this, this kind of mental plutonium. Um, but that means that, uh, like, like, that cuts both ways. And so um, for the kind of villainous groups in the book, 
if you think about um, the Watleys in Dumb Much Horror, like Wilbur Watley, like literally goes to Muscatonic and tries to check out library books, and and he would succeed, except that they were from like the banned book section or whatever. So like if if you know he hadn't encountered that opposition, he would have checked out some library books and like bought a hamburger and gone home. Like he, you know he could navigate human society even though he was like this half monsters you know horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when pressed. When, you know, the police investigate the break-in and Watley ends up getting killed um, and then Professor Armitage and company, you know, begin investigating and do their whole thing, um, then they end up with uh, this sort of escalation of the conflict and the Watley family and the the kind of like half-invisible son of Yogg-Sothoth or whatever um, ends up in this big conflict. And had that conflict that Armitage provoked happened in downtown Arkham, like the consequences would have been horrible, you know, like buildings would have been leveled and Yogg Sothoth would have come and the whole thing would have been terrible. Happily, it occurred up on Sentinel Hill where, you know, there's no population center. But fundamentally what happened there is that the investigators provoked a conflict that escalated the intensity and the violence and the level of magical power being deployed by the enemy. And that confrontation uh, could have easily been disastrous for a large number of people. And if they hadn't done that, if Armitage hadn't investigated it was just like, oh, well, whatever, they're hill folk, then like that little family cult, they would have just done their thing. And maybe someday they might have ended the world. It's hard to say, you know, <laughs> and so you, you're, you're basically trading, you know, like there's a long term risk. And then by engaging, you generate a short term risk um, and by uh, triggering a confrontation, because when confronted by some kind of opposition like that, the, the Watley family, like they're going to escalate, they're going to go after more power and more influence and more magical abilities and so forth. So what I'm trying to do in the labyrinth is to keep that approach in mind and treat organ- each organization as a living thing that will respond when provoked um, and that will grow and change. Um, and so um, formally, as a as like a game designer, what I've done is uh, each organization is kind of presented as like here's their history, here's their current state, here's their individuals, here's their agendas, here's you know kind of what they believe in or what they do, um, <clears throat> and here's some entry points for a campaign, how you can kind of hook them in and get them started. But then uh, I present three stages of development for that group um, in which they they change or or the individuals that lead them or that or that you encounter within them change. Um, and that's really meant to be, uh, the equivalent of how, um, being a Delta green agent can corrode your sanity and weaken your bonds to your life, uh, in the same way. Um, so for example, there's a, I'm going to avoid naming names here to prevent the content being spoiled for players, but, um, uh, there's an organization that's a, it's a positive mundane real world uh, type organizations based on inspired by a real organization that I've, I've changed the names and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they're a, you know, kind of like a pro law enforcement. They sort of like help out with some, some issues of law enforcement kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're great. Like in the real world, like it's a fantastic organization and I'm presenting the same way in this fictional version. Um, but the, the handful of people in that organization that you can encounter who can potentially become like Delta green friendlies, um, they have their own, their own agendas. Like they have their own things that they care about, that they're obsessed about and so forth. And when they begin to encounter Delta green and kind of, you know, get worked into your campaign, then it isn't just that the risk is they're going to come along on a scenario and get killed or killed by a monster or something. 
it's that in between scenarios when you aren't when you, when the players have forgotten about them and are not you know thinking about that that guy we met from that one organization, that guy is doing something because he has his own agenda in his own life, and now because of the new kind of worldview he's been exposed to from Delta Green and the unnatural stuff he's seen. He's now thinking like, oh, my God, like this thing I've been obsessed with all my life must be connected to all of this this new secret world I've been exposed to. Now I know what to do. And so he's going to go off on his own arc and pursue his own agenda with this this kind of like half-baked new worldview he's gotten from Delta Green exposure. And he doesn't know enough to really understand it. He's going to misinterpret it, and it's going to cause him to begin making decisions that are really dangerous, not just for himself but for others. And when he gets into trouble, like you can guess who he's going to turn to. He's going to be like, hey, guys, guess what? You know, and then you <laughs> – as Delta Green agents, you're going to get this phone call from your friendly who's like, you know, hey, you know, and this is, I'm just going to make this up for a moment, but like, hey, guess what? You know, like, I've got six cultists tied up in a warehouse. Let's kill them. Right. Like, and, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> like, what, what happened? <laughs> and, you know, and, and it might be that, you know, he did not actually get six cultists. They're just ordinary people that he mistakenly identified, like that kind of thing. Right. So I'm trying to give us situations where by introducing one of these organizations, it's going to create new opportunities for plots, for conflicts, for adventures that are much more kind of um, character driven and sort of sandboxy instead of being like a linear series of scenes in a game scenario. Um, and so these people that you encounter, if they're, if they're going to be friendlies, for example, are going to be marked and changed by, by your encounters with them. And there's a, a bit of a, a, a devil's bargain I'm trying to offer there where, like, they have real use to your campaign. Like, if you're a Delta Green agent, like, this guy is really helpful. He gets us clues. He gets us, you know, resources that we need. Like, I, I would like more of that, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but in exchange for getting that help, you also are putting him at risk. Um, and in turn, that ultimately is going to put you at risk, uh, both for you know, your safety as a Delta Green agent, but also exposure. Like you run the risk of him, you know, like blabbing to the media or getting caught doing something he shouldn't be. And so all of that, I'm just trying to um, take the notion of bonds and sanity and that corrosion of the mythos and apply it to all these, this array of characters in the labyrinth who over time are going to be suffering and worsening, or in some cases getting horribly powerful in new ways in the same way that Delta Green agents often do. Mm-hmm. For the cult groups, the evil groups, um, instead of being degraded, you know, by exposure to the unnatural, um, they're going to respond to initial encounters with Delta Green, in some cases, by becoming more powerful, um, by changing up their tactics, by increasing their security, um, by investing resources in, you know, more magical ability or greater favor from their gods, um, and in some cases, by um, let's say taking existing members of their organization and kind of up-leveling them in terms of magical power and knowledge so that the next time Delta Green meets them, they are a much more formidable enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, and their agenda goes from being, you know, well, in a thousand years, we're going to, you know, destroy everything to, I don't know, how about Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's sort of like the, like that, like that's that risk reward kind of thing where like, you know, they're doing their thing and they're bad, but if you tangle with them, like they will escalate the conflict dramatically. And that's a risk you're going to take on as Delta Green agents. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all just like, it's all just interesting. It's kind of like a bit of poker. 
and the agents, the players at the table are going to be making decisions about like, do we like, is it worth taking on additional risk um, by engaging with this group? Like what's the payoff here and what's the risk and how, how can we do so in the most responsible and safe way we can to prevent ourselves from being exposed or put at risk. And I think those are just all like interesting, fun, tense, character-driven questions that are very different from just, you know, playing through a normal investigation. I think they're going to add a lot to Delta Green campaigns over time. Um, yeah, it's also, a, 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 I think, a more interesting model than the standard. Like, obviously, the standard kind of Cthulhu slash Delta Green campaign model is the big single conspiracy investigation that was kind of established by early campaigns like Masks of Nyarlathotep or, you know, here's this one grand mystery, go go beat up five chapters worth of it and then uh, you can solve it. But this is like, now it's just dealing with, we have to solve one problem, and then that creates more problems, which creates more problems, and then uh, everything's on fire. Uh, yeah. So, um, which I, yeah, no, I think that's definitely something I think players are going to be more invested in because um, it's based on their own actions, and so yeah. they, they feel more ownership in that. So that's definitely going to be really interesting to try out um you also do have uh in this campaign some stretch goals um so you've already unlocked several of them They're coming rapidly on another one um so the i just want to kind of go over these a little bit quickly the first one is a bunch of handouts and props um for that is that uh can you talk a little bit about those yeah, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that I'm doing in the in the labyrinth is uh, for each organization, I'm also defining um, connections or, or possible connections between organizations, mm-hmm. so that you know when you begin to meddle with these guys, um, there are opportunities to introduce these other guys and kind of pull them into the storyline. Um, and, and as you're saying, like over time. I mean, you know, in, in, in my happiest world, a Delta Green campaign might begin with some scenarios um, that might come from, you know, our books or whatever else. But because you're pulling in these organizations from the labyrinth, over time, the campaign just kind of begins to generate its own story because mm-hmm. you've got all these, all these things you're juggling and these risks you're running and these stuff popping up. And it will become much more kind of player-driven and character-driven instead of, as you're saying, like being a linear campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think about that and kind of like how do we – because this, this is not a book of adventures. Like these really are like – these are like a source book of organizations. But they're going to become sort of organically adventure components in your campaign. And we're going to want to have connections between them or want to kind of get the players things to, to mess with and investigate and so forth and clues and whatnot. Um, and so it seemed like to us that a, a kind of a, a handout pack like that, um, that you can drop in uh, to your campaign, which isn't typically part of a source mm-hmm. book of, of, of villains or whatever. You know, the Monster Man never came with a, you know, a, a handout from the Kobolds or whatever, right? So um, we thought it'd be a great resource for handlers and for players as well. Um, and, you know, ideally, like this would be the best thing ever if a gaming group had like a cork board mm-hmm. and it, it's, like, it's like like a police procedural show or something. They begin tacking up the props on the cork board and like tying threads between them and like, oh, I think this is connected to this and so mm-hmm. forth. And then, you know, pretty soon they're they're drawing uh, sigils on the walls and their own feces and things go downhill from there. <laughs> uh, and this is going to be a separate print product that just ships with the labyrinth. 
Yeah, so it's as, as part of the Kickstarter, it'll be a PDF you can use, and you can print these things out and, and use them in your campaign. Uh, but then we will also produce a printed version that you can purchase separately. Okay. Um, and uh, so your second goal is Delta Green, the Horned God, uh, which sounds like a standalone scenario about missing children in Atlanta. Yeah, so we have uh, we have several. Um, I don't think this is giving away too much. We have, we have several adventures planned uh, for Delta Green that are um, really meant to be uh, entry points in your campaign for various organizations in the labyrinth. Um, mm-hmm. And so the first the first one we've we've unlocked that stretch goal, <clears throat> and it's it's been it's been funded. And the second one is is nearing funding now. Um, and if we, uh, if we, if we end up with enough of those, then we may set them up as their own book, like we did with, uh, Delta Green and Night of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal of those adventures really is, um, just like, here's a short adventure. It's a way to, you can drop it into your campaign and pull in one or more of these organizations to kind of get that, get that, 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 uh, that ball rolling, uh, of using the labyrinth content in your campaign. So that's going to be. There'll be fun ways to explore uh, some of those orgs, but a, a key thing we set out to do with the adventures is to ensure that these adventures will not, in themselves, like consume or burn up an organization, the labyrinth. Like they'll just bring them in and get them introduced, but they won't like resolve them or kill them off or you know whatever else because right. we'd really rather that that was a longer term thing in your campaign that was going to happen dynamically over the course of play. So these adventures are just about like getting them started. So typically what we're doing here is it's going to be an adventure that is just something going on, some Delta green operation, you know, mad cultist or whatever it is um, that is its own thing, its own little, you know, self-contained kind of short tail. But in the course of that, you will encounter one or more of these groups. And so it's a, it's a, just like a front door for your campaign basically. Okay, um, and so you have a couple. Uh, well, I mean, right now uh, you're currently waiting for Delta Green in the Stillness to be funded. Uh, you only have a few thousand to go, uh, and that's enough. And um, so there might maybe a few more to be revealed uh, since there's uh, a couple weeks left uh, in the campaign. Um, yeah, are you writing all of these? I assume. Uh, I'm not actually. Um, so we are, we're kind of planning them as a group. Um, mm-hmm. and this is kind of how we, how we do a lot of stuff on Delta green. Um, so we're going to, we're figuring out what these are, what these are going to be. Um, and then we'll kind of look at where we end up with the Kickstarter and how many stretch goals are funded and what we're going to, what we're taking on. And we'll decide who's going to write what at that point. So mm-hmm. I might write some of this stuff. Um, but it will also be potentially divvied up among, you know, Scott, Dennis, Shane, Greg, whoever, um, so we'll, we'll figure that out. We kind of need to know the scope of the stretch goals and then decide uh, the best way to pursue all that stuff. Okay. Um, and I, and we, we all have like, we all have other things we're working on as well. Um, uh, there's some stretch goals from the, from the Delta green RPG Kickstarter. That those guys are still wrapping up, which is why I'm free to work on the labyrinth. Um, but we'll, we'll figure that out and scope it out. Um, and they should be really cool. And certainly they are, you know, all these adventures are things that we're kind of planning out as a group so we know where they fit in the overall scheme of both the Labyrinth itself, but also kind of our general plans for Delta Green and what other products we've got coming out. Okay. Um, so your, your, basic, your, your main writing focus now is just focus on the Labyrinth. You're not working on any, other, uh, any of the other existing Delta Green products that are still in the works, right? Yeah, that's correct. So those, all that stuff that was funded by the Kickstarter for the RPG, um, like that's, which is a, a, <laughs> a labyrinth of content. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, they've done a ton of stuff, adventures and campaigns and source material and so forth, and they're still they're still working through the last few items on that giant list that got funded a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my focus is 100% on the labyrinth and uh, and writing it. Um, and I'm you know I'm probably a third of the way through. It's been going great. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with these organizations. Um, that takes a lot of there's a lot of research involved because I really try to ground things in the real world, and so that's, that's kind of a hallmark of Delta Green in general. Yeah. Um, but that's been really fun to do, uh, and, uh, and also to find ways to, um, really kind of horrify, uh, the handler as they read the text. Um, cause I, like, it's one of the things I, I, I try to do in, in my game writing for this stuff is, um, like, it, and it, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line to walk where, um, like the real horror is meant to occur at the table with the players and have them, you know, be in horrible situations or make really tough choices that are painful and, and kind of emotionally uh, affecting, um, and and to give them that intense kind of scary experience at the table. Um, but for the game master, for the handler, um, like they need to understand clearly and logically and well presented what's going on, and that can that can lead to kind of an antiseptic quality to the writing of adventures in source books where. They're just because, like, ideally, this should be very informative and very clear and very well organized. Um, but those things are like the like the enemy of horror. You know, mm-hmm. like the last the last thing you want from your horror experience is like you know tidy organization. Um, so what I try to do in my writing for these things is to both to, to deliver the clarity that get the handler needs to understand this stuff and kind of see the big picture. Um, but also, I try to find opportunities where I can I can keep a few pieces of information hidden from the handler that are not in like the overview at the top of the chapter, um, and kind of keep a few things back, and then introduce them in a more like a narrative kind of way for the handler's first read to the chapter, so that um, the handler gets to have the experience of kind of like piecing a few things together and seeing like this this nut like being tightened and tightened and tightened. And then when I get to a point where I'm going to drop one of these pieces of particularly horrifying information, um, I give that as much like intensity and flavor and power in the actual writing as I can so that it really just lands with a hammer blow on the handler reading the text. So they go like, oh, my God. God, because I want to produce that reaction in the handler so that they then have this like emotional experience themselves just reading the book that they can then serve as a conduit for to deliver to their players. Um, and, and balancing that is, is tough because I don't want to make things confusing or hard to reference during play. I mean, it's really important to me and always has been that adventures, especially for that we work on are, are really clear and easy to use because mysteries are so complicated to run at the table. Um, but with, with labyrinth, I, I get to have that experience and I really try to deliver it so that as you read the book, like you're going to have moments where you are hopefully going to be really freaked out by what you're reading and that means you can do a better job at the table with your players. Okay. Um, so you mentioned uh, research and doing a lot of research for this. Have you found any particularly, uh, have you learned anything in your research that has particularly horrified you? Um, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but like, uh, can you give us some sort of hints of where your research has taken you? Mm, boy. Um, you know, I did, uh, I did a lot of research on uh, in vitro fertilization. Ooh, that's and you're talking about the Dunwich Horror earlier. Uh, 
that is uh, oh, the implications are staggering. Um, so that's, that's yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, you know, in in the original Delta Green book, you know, we, with our organizations there with Majestic and so forth, you know, we would go back. The, the way we kind of did this stuff is we would mm-hmm. look at real history. Um, from espionage, military, political stuff, whatever, and then mm-hmm. kind of find places to kind of weave our ideas in. Mm-hmm. And and in some cases, like, that's what I'm doing now. I mean, like, I, I did do like, a ton of research on in vitro fertilization, not just the technical aspects of it, but its history. Like, mm-hmm. where did it start? Who created it? Where was that? When was that? How did that work? How did that develop? How did the scientific and, and, and cultural communities react to it over time mm-hmm. and what was the development of that across the last you know 30 40 years and so and just the same way we did with like the military industrial complex i'm looking at at aspects like that in our, in our modern world walking back to history and looking at like you know if this thing had happened in 1993 this thing would have changed in a very interesting way it's really horrifying mm-hmm. so that's that's what i'm doing uh with like non-military non-espionage stuff i kind of treat the same way okay um yeah that's actually yeah uh, i think a lot of rpgs is, that are grounded in the real world often overemphasize military espionage and you know certain types of politics uh, or certain political areas over others. I mean, there's, it's a very, you know, the world is very broad and there's a lot of interesting things going on in all kinds of areas. And we kind of ignore a lot of that. Um, yeah. so, uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. are you going to be playtesting this with your own group? Are you actually uh, running any Delta green yourself, uh, or anything like that? Uh, not currently. In fact, um, what I am running is uh, I'm, run- <laughs> I'm actually running uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition for my wife and daughter. Mm. Uh, she's uh, My daughter's 10 years old, uh, and so we have a family D&D game we play at times. Uh, okay. And so I've, I've got a whole other world going on over there, which is very different. <laughs> um, but the, the Labyrinth is, because it's not adventures, it's really source material, um, my focus is on, on designing and building uh, organizations and presenting them in chapters that are going to be you know, able to be used in a variety of ways that keepers, uh, sorry, handlers <laughs> uh, can, uh, can pull upon to uh, work into their campaigns and have really clear entry points for each one where they know unambiguously how to introduce this organization, usually with a single character from the org who turns up in some context and has some kind of, you know, useful information or a dangerous opportunity or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and really give the handler what they need to use the stuff successfully in their campaigns. Okay. Um, so I guess the last question for me is, uh, are you going to be at Gen Con this year? Uh, not this year, um, but uh, we'll see about next year. The the, the labyrinth will be uh, shipping as an ebook in the spring, and then as a physical book, I think, in the sometime in the summer. Um, so it, it's possible I might I might try and do the Gen Con next year with uh, copies of the labyrinth in hand. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe you could run a game for uh, RPPR so we can uh, have games uh, run by all the Delta Green. Uh, that would be stubby. Yeah. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, the labyrinth is kickstarting now, um, until July 31st, I believe. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, back to Kickstarter and of course, um, yeah. Uh, any, any final words, uh, John or, uh, you know, I would just say that, uh, this is a, a really exciting time for Delta green, uh, after, um, a lot of years of, uh, you know, not, not being able to, um, <clears throat> um, pursue everything at, mm-hmm. uh, at the fullest extent, getting the RPG finished and out the door. So now we have both the, 
um, the, the agent's handbook and the handler's guide out there in the world, um, we're really kind of ready to see uh, to see a lot of new, exciting campaigns and characters and ideas from players and from handlers around the world. Um, this is a great time to get into Delta Green or come back to it. Um, and with the new material we've got in the works, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of great support for this game line and a lot of really fun stuff to do with the table. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's certainly been my experience with it. Uh, Delta Green has been sort of a, a standby game for RPVR for uh, uh, ever since the new editions come out. So, um, yeah, so thanks for uh, talking to us, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. You bet. Thanks, Ross.